Mini episode 1205 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini-episode number 1205. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here, and we are continuing on with our coronavirus series here, the Coronavirus Crisis 2020 in the FDH Lounge. We are welcoming back to the show a gentleman who we have been privileged to have on a number of times previously. Uh, most recently, it was, I believe, last summer with his great book, Four Friends, and uh, it, the, the story of uh, JFK Jr. and others who had gone to school together uh, at Andover. Great bestseller, the latest in a long line of bestsellers. Uh, our topic today is uh, of a, a different nature, and as an author and as a uh, financial columnist, he has written extensively, of course, about Wall Street. Uh, he is somebody who has worked on Wall Street previously. First time we had him on the show, actually, was, I believe, February of '09. so we have uh, bookended uh, the years in between, which uh, we steadily came out of the Great Recession, and now we are going back into whatever this is. It's the, uh, the coronavirus crisis that is uh, enveloping public health, but certainly finance as well at the moment, and uh, given the number of people's jobs involved, uh, it might be a race neck and neck to say which aspect of this is worse. Uh, so we will plow into all that and much, much more. Uh, pleased to welcome back to the show author, columnist, and as I say, former uh, Wall Street executive William Cohen. William, thank you so much for being here with us uh, today on the show in these troubled times. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, I wish the times weren't troubled, but they are. They are. Here we are in all of this, and uh, in terms of looking at this, I have deliberately tried in the last 72 hours to stay away from any such discussions because they were just getting to be uh, really, really weighing on me excessively, and we all owe it to ourselves to try to be kind to ourselves wherever possible. But uh, unfortunately, I do have uh, around me some deniers still at this point, or people prepared to lay everything at the feet of the quote-unquote panic. So, uh, is there is there anything at all you would say to these people at this point, assuming that they can still be uh, led to reason as far as taking precautions? Well, uh, again, as you correctly pointed out, I'm a uh, former wealth banker, written about most of the many years, and written about the last financial crisis, and two books, and any number of Uh, and I mean, I think that you know, there's something to sort of lay aside 
Very well said. I, I think the comparisons to World War II, I've been kind of heeding that in recent days here. The sacrifices on the home front, and I think it's a lot very much the same in that way. Uh, in, in a public health sense here first, and, and that is you know, fairly opaque to a lot of us because, uh, again, even the experts will tell you they can only make their best guesses at it. But uh, in terms of whether this moment appears to be too late, to head off the fate of Italy, what now? It seems to like France is joining them in that. Uh, whatever. Uh, again, not hopeful on a social level. If you were looking last weekend at things like the pub crawl in Wrigleyville and that kind of stuff, on an anecdotal level, it doesn't seem like we're stepping up to the challenge as much. And and that's why more of these restrictions are coming. Do you have a gut feeling either way as to whether it's already too late to avoid the fate of Italy or, or whether we can kind of tighten up in time to make it at least a little less bad? Well, again, I'm, I'm not a, a, a health uh, expert. Sure.
Excellent point, uh, William, and I want to put a pin in that on what you were saying and come back to it in a second about the economy and what can be done to try to rescue it at this point. 
but but first I just want to build on what you were saying about uh, what what our obligation is right now and again in that shared sacrifice kind of a way for society right now one of our contributors to the show and normally I'm not shy about mentioning names I'm not going to at this point because I, I don't want to shame him for the point that he made to me but just the whole point about how oh it's going to be rough and being you know we're all going to be deprived from social contact and and, and I said to him, I said, look, though, technology is what it is. None of us are, are Anne Frank sitting in the attic, right? I've talked more on the phone in the last couple of days than I have in a long time. I mean, I haven't even Skyped anybody or FaceTimed yet, but I'm sure that's coming. I mean, it, this, this whole notion of the sacrifice that's involved, William, it does have to be put into the context of the tools that we do have. If this was even 15 years ago... Uh, I, I suppose people would still be on the phone a lot, but you didn't have cell plans with, with flat rates, basically. I mean, we, we can stay in contact with anyone and everyone around us with, with the flip of a switch here, figuratively. So that just makes it all the sillier uh, that people don't want to do what's necessary. And that's and I think that's absolutely uh, valid. And in terms of what we're talking about here, in, in terms of how we get out of this and, and putting aside uh, some of the strictures that people would want to have in terms of their normal uh, belief systems coming into this thing, what I want to ask you about, and this is not to take your quote out of context, but to apply it here when you said previously no such thing as a free lunch 
to somebody like me, and again, listen, I am in favor of uh, priming the pump at this point in time. I am certainly not, you know, under normal circumstances, what you'd call a, a Keynesian individual. Under normal circumstances, uh, I'm the kind of guy who screeches about running the printing presses too much. And, and there is part of me that's got fear that milk could be $50 a gallon by Christmas at this rate. But I, I'm putting that aside, right? I'm saying we got to do what we got to do. We'll worry about tomorrow when we get out of this crisis. What would you say to anybody like me that's got fears of, are we creating another potential monster down the road by what some of the short-term remedies are, even if they're necessary right now? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're probably like the 13th most indebted uh, country in the world. Uh, the situation isn't going to help. Uh, and we may have to, you know, incur as much as $3 trillion more of uh, debt um, uh, to pull ourselves out of this. Um, and that's not, that's not good, and I don't mean to, to sure. minimize that. But the you know, uh, silver lining, again, is Yeah, and that crystal ball predictions, and who knows, you know, you know whether, you know, how this is going to go. 
Oh yeah, I mean, because uh, we 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 did a segment on the show recently, third time we've done this, our February 29th time capsule of uh, predicting events up to the next February 29th, and the caveat going in was, you know, coronavirus could change everything. <laughs> William, I'm not sure there's one thing that we predicted at the time that isn't going to be affected by this. So, you know, yeah, who knows? Especially now that we're into the crisis and we are and uh yeah as as a long-standing debt hawk i'd like to think that uh once things get good again that we could maybe get a little bit of religion on that subject and address these things but uh i guess we're gonna have to see on that one in the near term and again you had a really excellent article in vanity fair why the fed's rate cut tanked the market and uh with your thoughts on that and it, it was it was the same thought i had at the time just in my gut of you know, you're firing all your bullets here to do this, and that that yeah, if it if it doesn't work or it's deemed not to work, then what? And I think that's why they're they're kind of you know having to scrape here at this point for coming up with 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 different issues. Do you have any sense of what drove that kind of desperation move at that moment in time? Was was it a fear that it was going completely off the rails then, and they needed to do something? Because it seems curious that they wouldn't as weird as it sounds, wait for it to go lower, just because it can always go lower, and that's the risk. If, if you do it and it doesn't work, then what? Well, look, uh, please tell not to talk to me, so, uh, you know, I don't really know, mm -hmm. obviously. I think it didn't, it didn't work because, uh, you know, lowering uh, a good fund's rate now 
And I would guess that that is primarily what he was going for, was, was trying to uh, reinforce the market set of, uh, set of confidence as opposed to what you're talking about, this bank shot here, and you're right, it will help with the debt financing. You know, in a way, it could almost make him kind of the, uh, the Rudy Gobert of government circles here, because I've come around to the point of view that as mad as I was last week, Rudy Gobert saved a lot more lives than he threatened because... Boom, the, short, the sports leagues were shutting down right away after that, and that was when we really started to get serious about this whole thing here, too. Maybe Jay Powell, his move didn't work the way he wanted it to, but much like Rudy Gobert, maybe, and hopefully there's some good that comes out of it in the ways you're talking about. Absolutely, and uh, but before we steer it around at the end here to the political side of this, I have one more question for you uh, on the Wall Street end of this governmental policy and everything. So I'm getting the sense here from talking to you, and it's the same kind of sense I've gotten in other places too. Uh, would I be correct in assuming that you believe at this point that liquidity across the board kind of is the key to getting us out of this way? You've already addressed getting money into our pockets directly. But all these businesses out here, small businesses that are threatened by this, making sure that they can kind of stay afloat, because that would seem to me that it would be kind of the biggest key in this whole time here, right? If the government's going to be involved, that it would be on that, on making sure that we have an apparatus across the board that looks as much like the world before this uh, as humanly possible. So is liquidity really at the heart of this whole thing as, as far as helping us to come out of this at the end? Uh, uh, pro 
Well, Donald Trump very famously has never been very big on uh, political dogma. I mean, you look at the positions that he's changed over the years. So, yeah, I mean, he might have the kind of flexibility it takes, uh, maybe shamelessness, whatever, whatever you want to use to switch positions, mold positions to get us out of this. And that brings us to the, uh, the last element of this that I wanted to ask you about, and that being, again, prior to this, maybe it's just the conventional wisdom, but I was looking at the landscape, and I'm seeing, again, uh, you know, the economy, you know, pretty robust prior to this, very low unemployment rate. Uh, looking at a divide in the Democratic primaries that seems very similar to four years ago with Bernie v. the establishment and some of the hard feelings that we're looking to linger out of that. So prior to all of this, I was thinking Trump's election to lose, he, he still could, and I, I didn't think he'd win the popular vote, but uh, squeak out an electoral college win again. At this point, I mean, the, the onus is on him. He has to avoid mass death on his watch. He has to avoid mass economic destruction on his watch. And it's really kind of flipped all the way around and that uh, Joe Biden almost by, you know, being in the right place at the right time, and there's more, been more to it than that, obviously, but the way that things have materialized, uh, it would seem like Trump's got his work cut out for him, not least of which because of the early downplaying that he did in this, which will be all over fall attack ads, especially if things go poorly. So, What's your sense of, of the politics of this thing? I know we're right in the middle of it, and to a certain extent, some of the politics are getting tuned down in terms of Trump versus some of the governors because they're having to work together a little bit. But we know the temperature is going to come back up. And, and as this year goes along, again, you know, I, I think it's easy to say if this is a disastrous scenario, it's disastrous for Trump. Uh, I guess the question would be how much better does it have to get for Trump to have any kind of a decent chance? What, what are you thinking based on, on the range of outcomes here on how it may impact the presidential race? Well, I'm going to take sort of a contrarian view to what you were talking about. Sure. And, and it sounds like, you know, going back two months, mm -hmm. January, you know, if you think of, like, all the fancy people uh, uh, and people who went to Davos,
uh, higher than I thought they were in January. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. You and I have both turned around on that, but in different ways. And uh, yeah, it's it's going to be a, a political year unlike any other, and there's going to be delicacies in terms of navigating this situation that, uh, again, Trump really doesn't do delicate situations well. So yet another thing that doesn't uh, vote in his favor. But uh, again... Uh, This is a thing too. And again, I'll, I'll stipulate up front uh, what it says about Trump is is pretty obvious. But I will say this: for a guy who's not everybody's cup of tea, uh, I truly appreciate some of the work uh, done since the beginning of the year from Tucker Carlson. First on Iran, because I'm I'm a, not, a common sense non-interventionist. I was afraid we were going down a very bad path there. He is credited with getting in Trump's ear, steering him out of that. And the commentary that he did on the coronavirus and that the elected officials need to take it seriously, people were saying at the time that was for an audience of one. And apparently that was the case, and apparently it worked. So, again, for a guy that I, I, I fully realize is not everybody's cup of tea, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm about ready to give the guy time man of the year, and it's only March. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I said. You know, what it says about Trump is, is pretty obvious, but uh, this is the world we're in. and So all we can do is hope that it's going to be uh, sane voices in his ear helping him to steer the ship the rest of the way through here. Uh, but uh, again, at, at a time... We're really all in this together at this point. We are. We are. And it's... The virus doesn't know about, you know, Fox News versus MSNBC. Yeah. That's true. That's true. And uh, again, we are all in this together, and that is something that we need to be uh, mindful of. And uh, that is something that we're trying to promote here with the show. But uh, again, you know, always what we're looking to do with the show is to have great and enlightening conversations on different topics. And uh, we've been through a number of them with you uh, over a period of time, uh, William Cohen. Uh, thank you very much. For your thoughts in these troubled times here and uh you know knowledge for a lot of people can make them feel a little bit better so uh, you gave people some uh, food for thought here and i really appreciate that well thank you for having me oh it's always a pleasure and i'm always looking forward to the next time we can do it thank you so much william and thank you everybody for tuning in to fdh lounge mini episode number 1205